Welcome to Matan's Parsha podcast, Sefer Dvarim. Each week, a different Matan teacher will share words of Torah to illuminate the Parsha and your week. Today's Shi'ar and Parshat Re'eh will be given by Rabbanit Margot Reinstein Batwinik, a graduate of the Belos Eshkelod Educators Institute for Tanakh and Jewish Studies. She currently serves with her husband as the Mizrahi OU JLIC couple on the IDC campus in Herzliya. Firstly, hello to everyone who's listening. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether you are on your commute or cooking for Shabbos, taking some time to learn. Thank you so much. I'm excited to learn with you. Thank you, Dr. Yosef Rubel, for organizing this podcast to Matan, for the incredible platform and for, for everything that you do. I'm really excited to learn here together about a topic that I am very passionate about, which is brought out through this week's Parsha. And I want to start with a disclaimer, a disclaimer about nuance, because the truth is we know that we don't have enough nuance today. Everything is either black and white, right or left, Democrat or Republican. If you say one thing about one idea, people all of a sudden have an assumption that you think all of these other things. And of course, that's not fair. That's not fair to human beings. That's not fair to our thoughts, our emotions. We are all so much more complex than that. Than that. And I want to begin by asking for nuance. What do I mean? The idea that I want to put forward is about one of sensitivity. And of course, when people hear about sensitivity towards animals, there's an automatic assumption that we are telling you what to do. You need to be a vegetarian. It happens to be, and of course, the disclaimer here is that I am indeed a vegetarian. Now, that doesn't mean that just because I'm a vegetarian, that means that I think everybody in the world should be vegetarians, or certainly you as innocent listeners here again on your commute or taking a walk or wherever it is that you're listening to the sheer, that doesn't mean now that I am imposing that on you. But what I do think that the Torah is getting at, that this week's Parsha is getting at, is is one of sensitivity, of greater sensitivity to God's creatures, greater sensitivity to what we eat, to how we eat. I think that's what much of kashrut is about, much of the laws, every single time that an animal is mentioned in the Torah, the way that it's spoken about, I think is important. And that's what I want to get out today. I've given this year before to people of different ages, to different groups, and they come out. And even though the whole point is one of nuance, people will come and say, well, I disagree. I don't think we need to be vegetarians. And <laughs> if you come away from, from, from this year hearing that that was the message to be a vegetarian or not, you missed the point. <laughs> I know that sounded a little harsh, but, but that's the truth because it's not about that. I, but I do think it's about taking a step back, living more intentionally, thinking about the way that we live our lives, again, what we eat, how we eat it, um, and what the Torah's message really is. But first, I'll start with a story. When I was in second grade, I came home from school and I let my mother know that I no longer wanted to eat meat. It was the first time that I had realized that what I was eating was an animal. And truth be told, the way that it felt to me is the way that most people will see roadkill on the street. It's how it looked to me on my plate. It was nothing ideological. I was far too young for that. It was simply a basic disgust, something that I wasn't interested in doing. And what's interesting is that I actually didn't even know what a vegetarian was. The reason that I became vegetarian, and I I joke about this because I think it's funny, like it was, it was actually because of the people around me, right? My parents, friends, or people who were older than me would see me eating just the potatoes from the cholent and not the meat, or eating the broth from the soup and not the chicken. And they would say things to me like, oh, well, you're not a real vegetarian. Why are you eating the chicken? Why are you eating the meat? Like, that's not what a real vegetarian was, you know? And of course, as a, as a little girl, that really had an impact on me. And I said, oh, well, if I 
I want to be a vegetarian and I, I need to be full. I need to be consistent. I need to do this the right way. And I think that's part of the problem that I even want to start off by stating, which is that, yeah, this is a problem in our society. We are these sort of accusations that we throw at people when they're just trying to live their best lives. If somebody says that they're a vegan and then we see that they are, you know, eating challah, which has, which might have eggs in it, where all of a sudden feel like even though the people who are speaking to them are meat eaters themselves, there's this feeling that now we can say to them, well, you're not the real deal, right? You're not really consistent. And I think that we need to, first of all, allow, allow ourselves, allow ourselves a little bit, everyone relax a little, right? <laughs> like, um, we, people are making decisions. They're making decisions based on their own ideologies. They're making decisions perhaps based on health or different reasons. Not everybody needs to fit into a box of whether they're a pescatarian or a vegan or they eat fish or not. I think a little bit more of letting people be, letting people figure themselves out, letting people experiment a little bit as they figure themselves out. And as they're, you know, learning more, whether it's Torah values about the world around them, um, Letting people be, I think, is something that we as a society could be a little bit better at. And I say that because as I think it will come across during this podcast, I think that it does require that sort of nuance. It, it is nuanced to say I eat some things and I don't eat other things. And in fact, that's very Jewish. It's inherently Jewish. That's what also kashru is all about. I eat some things, I don't eat other things. And it's, it's, it's okay for, we need to give people permission um, to figure themselves out. And I wanted to speak about this idea this week because, of course, it shows up in this week's Parsha. Perhaps the most famous line of Kashru, Lot Vashel Gadi Bachalev Imo Devarim Parakidalet Pasakaf Aleph, right? In Parsha Ra'e, which we're going to be reading this week, we read, Do not cook a goat in its mother's milk. Now, it's interesting because this actually isn't the first time that the Torah is going to tell us this. This is the third time in Shmot Parakav Gimel Pasuk Tet and Shmot Parakav Amadalad Pasuk Kavav. We again read the words, Lo Tefashel Gadi Bechalev Imo. And here we have the, those words again. And of course, it's an interesting use of language. This was initially pointed out to me by Rabbi Saul Berman, a teacher at Stern, right? Where he explains, look at these words. If the Torah simply didn't want us to eat milk and meat together, what would the Torah say lo tochal basarim chala right the torah would tell us don't eat milk and meat together but it doesn't just say that it brings some emotion into it it brings a story into it it evokes a certain sensitivity lo imo don't cook a goat in its mother's milk each goat has a mother the mother has a child that is cruel that would be cruel even yes you're eating the meat you're eating the gidi you might be eating the chalevimo but let's be careful right not to do those together because there's a line the torah is telling us that is crossing a line that is cruel I think it's interesting because back in the day, you know, before we had all our supermarkets and stores like we had today, I think that these ideas, which we're going to continue to talk about, were so much more obvious because they were so much more natural. Meaning, how did it work back in the day? People had chickens in their backyard or their cow, and when they were ready to eat it, they took it to a shochet who shechted it right in front of them, and then they bought that meat. Whereas what happens today? Today, we're living in a society where we are so removed from the fact that it's an animal. In fact, if somebody brings it up, they say, let's, I don't want to talk about it. 
right? Today, people could be eating meat and, and not put it together at all. I'm sure some people might disagree with this parenting point, but I'll tell you for, for us, you know, it's very much something that we speak about with our kids. They know, they know that the schnitzel was a chicken. Then they get really confused for the schnitzels that are in different shapes. You know, it's the shape of a lion, but it's a chicken and they're trying to figure it out. But, you know, it was funny the other day, um, my, my boys and my husband were eating corn schnitzel, which doesn't have any any meat or chicken in it. And I wasn't having any. And my four-year-old son asked me, mommy, is corn a dead animal? (laughs) Right? Because that's how much he's trying to figure it out. He's associating with it. I don't think, I really don't think that he's being traumatized at all. I think it's just, it's just a recognition growing up, realizing what we're eating, what we're putting into our bodies, I think is something that the Torah very much wants us to be thinking about. Um, let me, you know, even just give some other examples of how much this is so much in the Torah. Every single time we speak about animals, it is spoken about with sensitivity. Just, just, just as some examples, we have in Vayakar Parakaf Bet Pasak Kafcha, Vishur Ose Oto, the Et Bino, Lo Tishratu Biyom Echad. Right? If you have an ox or an, a sheep, do not slaughter it and its offspring on the same day. What? What a mitzvah. Right? What's it getting at? The, the, the no, right? It's telling us about its kids. These animals, their parents, there are children. There's a family here. It's humanizing it for us. Obviously, humanizing is not the right word. <laughs> um, but animalizing, whatever the word is, it's making us realize like there is a father here and a child here. And yet we don't want, we don't want to kill both of those in the same day, right? Devar and parakafat pasakyad, lo tacharosh beshor uvechamor yachdav, right? We don't thresh, we don't allow them to thresh together, the shore and the chamor. Why? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with an ox and a donkey eating together? The concern is that the ox is much stronger than the donkey and it's going to trip up the donkey and the donkey is going to get injured. That's a mitzvah, right? Devar and perikaf, hey, pasuk dalad, lo tachsom shor bidisho. You can't muzzle an animal while it's threshing. Why? What's the concern? Well, it's cruel because you're not letting it eat. Right? And this is all over the Torah. I'll share one more story on this point. When I was in Stern, I remember there's, you know, that, that listserv, I don't remember what it's called, where people could write emails, whatever they wanted. And somebody sent a, an email and with a lot of exclamation points. And they were so excited because they said, guys, everybody is invited. We're doing Shilua Hakan outside my apartment at 6 p.m. tonight. I woke up this morning, then she explained in the email, I woke up this morning and I heard a bird outside my window and I looked and I saw a mother bird. There's a nest here outside my window and its eggs are there. And look, we're going to take away the the eggs from the mother bird. We are going to fulfill the mitzvah. Now, of course, what I'm about to say is is certainly up for debate. I'm sure not everybody believes this, but but certainly there is, there is the train of thought that's going to say, no, Shibua Hakan is not Lechatchila. If you're going to be taking the eggs, if you need the eggs, at least shoo away the mother bird first. Don't take away a child in front of their parents, right? And it's something that I think when you read it, you read it, the the psukim say, Lo tikach ha'im al habanim, shalach teshalach ha'ta'im ve'at habanim, tikach lach, lamani tavach ve'arach ta'yamim. Yeah, you're going to live longer. You're more thoughtfully, right? You're going to, I think it's so interesting the way that we could take things and misconstrue them when we don't realize that the Torah's approach to tzara ba'alichayim is a real one. It's something that the Torah considers in so many different areas.
And I want to take this for a moment into the modern, in, into modern day too, right? Let's say, for example, you saw, a, a, I don't know, a group of fourth grade boys. I made that up, right? And they took a baby doll and they started hitting the doll, kicking the doll, uh, throwing it onto the floor. I don't even want to, I don't even want to say it, right? <laughs> really hurting the doll. I think that we would have an initial reaction, a, per, uh, a, a, a I don't know, a, a motherly parental reaction that says, like, don't do that. I know it's just a doll. It's literally an inanimate object. It's, it certainly has no actual life to it, but there should be something in us that thinks there's something wrong with that. You know, even pinatas, <laughs> I've never really spoken about this with people, but I find pinatas so disturbing. It's usually some kind of, you know, um, animal or something. And we have kids taking bats and trying to break it. I, obviously, people aren't thinking about it. If they were, they, they clearly don't. It's okay if you had a pinata at your last birthday party. You know, <laughs> there's no judgment there. I'm just noting, I think that that idea of like, I don't thinking more about what we're doing. Well, let me stop talking about inanimate objects and let's bring it to, to real life things for a moment. I think this is true today also, even with, you know, certainly we're thinking about, um, you know, chickens and, and, and cows, but even just insects, insects are God's creatures too. They're living creatures too. I don't know about emotions or anything like that, but certainly all the time, people, kids, but adults too, I think we'll just see bugs. I'm not talking about in the house. I don't know. I'm saying outside you're doing nothing and you see a bug and you just choose to kill it. I don't know. I think that's something we're supposed to think about before doing it. I saw my kids, they found, we have a lot of chilazones, a lot of snails in our backyard and they were, they had a game where they were like, you know, bashing the snails and just I don't know. I, I was very upset with them. Speaking to them about that, even, you know, it's been very interesting as no, as an Ola, um, you know, cats where I come from in America is, um, they're, they're house pets much more so than in Israel. People do have house pets here too, but, um, you know, it's been really interesting to watch how societally cats are treated so differently in Israel. My kids see cats and their initial reaction is to yell at it. It's, I can't think of like what they yell right now. They like hiss at it and they like want pretend to kick it. And like, I, I just even realizing like they're not learning that from us. I assume they're learning it from friends in Ghana or whatever it is. But even as a recognition, like whether I'm not a cat lover necessarily, but that's just not something that we do to living things. Let's go back for a moment now to the Torah. You know, whenever I say I'm a vegetarian, it always elicits different responses. And anybody who is a vegetarian, I'm sure knows exactly what I'm talking about, right? First, people are going to come in. There's going to be the challengers, right? That people are like, oh, well, what about korbanot? What, are you not going to eat the korban Pesach? But, you know, what about Ein Simcha, and Don't you believe that? What about on Shabbos? You know Rav Cook ate on Shabbos, right? And people come in with their, you know, their questions on Judaism. There's, of course, then the people who just have a basic interest. And then there's, you know, there's the mockers, right? There's the people who want to say like, oh, look at me. I'm eating a dead dead cow. And, you know, I feel like it's important to note that I think that that approach of mocking towards it, I, it is antithetical to Torah values, right? It's, you could be eating meat, but it's not something that we're so proud that we're like eating animals, right? Let's, let's talk about Kurbanot for a second, because I think Kurbanot is definitely one of the more controversial pieces, the things that people 
Think about the most, I'm sure many of you have thought about this before. Are we going to have korbanot in the times of the third Beit HaMikdash? Are we going to have korbanot in the future? Something which was such a big part of Judaism, which now we don't have today without a third Beit HaMikdash. But is this something that we're praying for? And I have to say my thoughts on this has really changed over the years. I remember I was telling a group of people about 10 years ago about how I don't think it's so obvious to me that we're not going to have Corbano in the, in the times of the third Beit HaMikdash, that that's something that's outdated that we're not going to do today. And I remember Rabbi Shani Tarragon was there and she overheard it and she challenged and she said, Marco, really? Can't you see a difference? But I don't know if she said it in such a challenging way, but for the purposes of this story, right? can't you see the difference between I don't know, a barbecue, people eating papagayos, all you can eat meat for fun and giving a korban to God, giving a korban to Hashem. I have to say over time, I've been thinking about this and yes, karbano to me is in a completely different category than a conversation about just eating meat stum. A korban, I mean, uh, this is not the time. We need a separate podcast to discuss all the amazing different opinions on what korbanot represent. Every single commentator has something to say about korbanot, what they are, what they represent, why we have them, what we're meant to be learning. Each and every single korban is so different, whether it's on Yom Kippur, the korban tami, korban chata, korban asham, korban toda. Personally, yes, I am excited. Maybe I'm not thinking it through too well, exactly what that would look like, slaughtering it, the blood, but I'm, I am. I want to, after a Bezrash, a, 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 after childbirth, I want to give that korban chatat. I want to give the korban toda when I am grateful. I, I, I'm so excited to watch the kohanim in the Beit HaMikdash. Yes, I think that is such, it's so clearly a different experience, a different point. Whether you believe korbanot or, or something in, in place of you, for your sins or inherently meaningful as Ramban so eloquently speaks about every single part of it representing something else. I mean, so much of Judaism, of Tara and Tuma. I am so excited for that time to be able to put it into action. I think during COVID, it was something that we got much more of a taste of, of what it means maybe to feel Tahor, to be Tame. It's something that I spoke about with Rabbanit Shani a lot too. Um, but I think recognizing that distinction is important. All you can eat barbecue, having a steak just for the fun of it is different than a korban. And of course, I think that there's a lot in between, whether it's Shabbos or Yom Tov or something like the korban Pesach, which is symbolic, which is part of something so much greater. There's a difference between eating meat and giving it back to its creator and giving it to God as part of something purposeful, as part of something intentional, as part of something greater. And while there are so many commentators who speak about korbanot, I think one easy way to, if we were to call it two schools of thought, we could break it down to Rambam versus Ramban, right? Ramban, who's going to come and and say, look, God's initial desire, yes, was for us to be giving korbanot, eating korbanot. They are inherently meaningful, like I mentioned, every single part of it. And then there's Rambam. And first, I have to say in defense of Rambam, I, he is often misquoted as saying this. This It's a lot of what people think Rambam has to say is really extrapolated from some things that he's intimated. So I want to, in his defense, it's not 100% clear that he says this. But there is room to say that what Rambam believes about Korbanot is, yes, yes, actually, what we're doing today 
today, how we don't have korbanot, and we more have in terms of our connection to God, it's meditative, it's verbal. Our connection with God is not something that needs to be based on something physical, right? If anything, that was the sin of the chet ha'egel. So much so, perhaps a response that, you know, we needed something to connect to physically. It was too difficult to connect to God otherwise. And there, therefore, there are those that are going to say the entire reason we have the Mishkan in the first place is just because it was so clear to God that we needed a physical way to connect to him. Rambam's going to say it was not ideal. It was also not l'chatchila. It was not something, it was just that back then, we have to realize historically, when the Jewish people left Egypt, when we got the Torah, everyone was giving korbanot. Every religion, every pagan religion, every atheist religion, okay, not not atheist, but everyone else was giving sacrifices, animal sacrifices, human sacrifices too, which of course we don't do, but animal sacrifices certainly, and for God to come and say, no sacrifices whatsoever would have just been so crazy, so distant. So instead, what does God do? He understands the people. The Torah is given to man at that time when the Torah was given to the Jewish people. And he understands where the Jewish people are at. And he said, listen, you also can give Kurbano as a way to connect to me. But listen how you're going to give it. You're going to give it in a certain way. Only at these times, at certain times, only by these people, only in these places, that is how you're going to ensure that this is Avodat HaKodesh, that this is Avodat Hashem, and not just something you're doing because everyone else is doing. So new, is it something societal? Is it just societal? Is it something beautiful? I obviously, I don't know the answer to that, but I do think it's important to note that you can still think that we're not going to be eating meat, let's say in the times of Mashiach or one day soon, and still think that you can be giving karbano. I don't think that they necessarily necessarily contradict each other. Now I want to go back to that point that I just spoke about how back then it would be so crazy if God had said, you know, said no sacrifices, because I think that it's an important point that we can apply to meat eating. I'm sure many of you will disagree with this analogy, but let's say as an example, the same thing is true with slavery. When we got out of Egypt, it is so crazy that in Parshat Mishpatim, when we are given the laws, the very first thing that we hear is We're given the laws about what we should do when we buy a slave. Hold on a second. I thought I, I, I thought that we were Avadim Hayinu. I thought that we were slaves. Shouldn't now we've experienced slavery? Shouldn't it follow now that God should come and give us the Torah and say, be moral people? We Realize this, realize these values. Jews do not have slaves. God's people, we do not have slaves. And of course, we didn't say that because there was a recognition that, I mean, let's be honest, slavery wasn't abolished until like the 1800s in America. It's going to take society a long time to get there. We weren't ready to abolish slavery back then. Perhaps what we were ready for was to recognize that we were slaves. And now when we have slaves too, let's be kinder to them. Let's treat them in a certain way. By the way, in a way that they're going to, they might even love so much that they might choose to be slaves. What a difference than the way that slaves were treated in the rest of society, than the way that the Jews were commanded to treat their Jewish slaves, right? And you can say this in so many areas of Judaism in terms of women's rights. Why didn't God just come out and say it, you know? But the crazy thing is, I mean, weren't women weren't even allowed to vote, at least in America, until like the 1960s, until our movements. We, it, it takes society a long time to learn and to grow. I'd like to suggest, is it possible that the same will be true of me? That the same will be true that our kids, our grandkids, great grandkids, I don't know how long it will take, generation will be a generation that looks back on us and is like, you did what? 
in 2021, you ate chickens? Like, just, eat, you know, <laughs> and it could be, you know, and I don't think that this is something that's far off, you know, just speaking from my own experience, when I was, you know, first became a vegetarian and as a little girl, it was very rare. It was not something that I, I didn't know a lot of vegetarians. When we would go to certain meat restaurants, it was just annoying. I just, I don't know, I had to get the french fries or the salad on the side. Today, look how much a decade plus later, times have changed, right? Look how much in such a short period of time, every single restaurant that you go into, I'm sitting in Herzliya now, 20 minutes from Tel Aviv, the vegan capital of the, of not probably not the world. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know those stats, but certainly in Israel, right? Where there's vegan restaurants, wherever you go, there's vegan options, even in every, in every meat restaurant that you're going to, there's going to be something with the recognition that vegetarians are much more common. And I'm going to say something a little bit controversial here. Um, I also think that there's a difference between vegetarianism in America and vegetarianism in Israel. And this, I, I real disclaimer, this is just my own personal experience, but I found when I'm in America and I speak about vegetarianism, I find that usually I'm challenged a lot more or again, back to that kind of mocking thing and questioning. And it's been interesting that here in Israel, I found that obviously this is such a generalization. I am for sure offending people. And if you want to edit this out, Yosefa, you're welcome to. Um, but I have found it just to be interesting that in Israel, the conversations have been much more thoughtful, much more understanding, many more questions rather than challenge, not much up for debate as much as let's like this, you know, this is something I've been thinking about too. Can we talk about it more? I don't know. Again, these generalizations here, but maybe there is something about being in the land of Israel with the sensitivity of the land of Israel, with the Kedusha of the land of Israel, um, that it's, you know, gearing people to think a little bit more in those ways. Obviously, again, <laughs> I, I can't claim that to be true, but in my personal experience, it, it has been the case. And I want to focus now on one final point, something which I think about a lot. And of course, that's, well, what's shot? Right. Well, what's the MS? What's the truth? What's what's really right? And I think it's important to distinguish between two types of discomfort. I have this, let's say, as an example with women's zeman. At first, when I learned about women's zeman, I was uncomfortable with it. And I had to ask myself and stop and say, wait, why am I uncomfortable? Am I uncomfortable because I think that it actually is wrong and it's a misread of the sources and that it's really not something we're supposed to be doing? Or am I uncomfortable with it simply because I'm just, I'm not used to it and I've never seen it before. And this is something that's new to be, new to me. And it, it could be that the answer is both one or a little bit of the other, but I, 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 that application, I, I, I've, that distinction I've put into many other areas of life and I'd like to do that with eating meat too, right? Personally, as you know, from a young age, it was something that I was uncomfortable with, something that was disgusting to me. But it's important, of course, to distinguish, okay, well, what do you do with that discomfort? Is it the type of thing like, well, I'm uncomfortable with it or I'm disgusted by it? But I mean, some people don't like cilantro. Some people are disgusted by mushrooms. Some people don't like eggplant. I mean, but there's nothing inherently wrong with mushrooms and there's nothing wrong with cilantro. Just some people like it and some people don't. Don't impose your views on others, right? Or is it the type of thing like, 
no, there's really some truth to this. And the discomfort that I'm feeling, or perhaps the discomfort that some people felt when women weren't able to vote or when black people were being persecuted and didn't have equal rights, whatever it was, is is it a discomfort that, no, there really is something wrong. It's something to take note of and to listen to. And of course, to that, I don't have an answer. I do think, though, that the world is in a place that we just are much more sensitive to animals. And in this idea of Ramban's reading of the Asita Hayasharva Hatobe Ne Hashem, I think that we are at a place where the Torah can't tell us everything to do in every single generation, but we can be in a place where we say, okay, in terms of kashrut, are we shechting in the most human way possible, right? Am I eating meat in, as, in the right, you know, in, in, in an amount that is appropriate? Am I being careful not to kill more of God's creatures than I need to so that there isn't all of that extra being literally just thrown away? Am I being careful perhaps to give away that extra meat because I recognize that I have care for it, that this was once a, not a human life, but <laughs> a life, one last common, almost challenge that I hear people say or question that people ask is, well, wait a second, we're clearly allowed to. I mean, look at not just Carbono, but throughout the Torah, we're allowed to eat meat. There's so much about it. And I think that one response to that can be, you know, just because we can doesn't mean that we should. Or just because we can, does that mean that there are no limitations on it, right? To quote a famous scene from Schindler's List, but when Schindler says power is when we have every justification to kill and we don't. And Amon responds, you think that's power? And Schindler says back, yes, that's what the emperor said. A man steals something. He's brought in before the emperor. He throws himself down on the ground. He begs for his life. He knows he's going to die and the emperor pardons him. This worthless man, he lets him go. That's power, Amun. That is power, right? Just because we can doesn't mean that we should or certainly doesn't mean that there doesn't need to be some kind of limit, some kind of things being done in a more thoughtful way. Of course, this idea is related as an example, let's say, to the mitzvah of Kisoi Hadam. Right? The mitzvah of Kisoi Hadam, that after you shecht an animal, the blood flows onto the floor, and there's a mitzvah to sprinkle dust on the blood to cover it. Right? There's a bracha, you say, if you've ever been to a shlita house. It's, it's part of the process, right? But I want you to listen to the language used in Vayikra Parakid Zion, Pasakid Gimel, where the Pasak says, V'shafach et amel v'chisahu be'afar, ki nefesh kol basar damo b'nafshohu. Right? The Torah, in the terms of the language that it used, it says, you should spill its blood and cover it. Right? Cover up the blood. Right? There's, uh, the, it's, it's, they're using that word nefesh, which we have all the time in this week's parsha, at least three times. Be careful with the, with the dam. Make sure that you spill out the blood like, like, like you would spill out the water. I think it's interesting, this idea of covering up the blood. You know, it's the same language that's actually used in the Torah all over the place for murder, right? In Breshi Lamed Zion, when we have the story of Yosef and the brothers, and Yehuda says to his brothers, right? Why should we kill our brother? Why should we cover up his blood? That same exact language of covering up blood, his blood. He's saying, why should we murder him? Right? And there it's very much in the intention of murdering him. We have that same language used in Yeshayahu Kavav, Kavav, in Yechastel Kavdalid, in Eov Parak Right? We have this in so many different places. 
And of course, I'm not here trying to say that killing an animal is murder. I'm really not. But I do think there's a recognition that the Torah does relate it. The Torah, again, is trying to evoke that sensitivity to make us realize, no, it's not just meat on a plate, that this can be a conversation, that you don't need to say, oh, I don't want to talk about this at the table, that you can recognize that what you're eating is an animal. And perhaps even that's okay. That's okay. But don't be ignorant. This is not a situation of ignorance is bliss. This is a situation of you're being ignorant. If you're purposely not allowing yourself to feel, you're just, you're, that's it. You're not allowing yourself to feel. You're not allowing yourself to, 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 you're not being a full person. The two more examples that I would bring up from the Torah are First, Ben Sorer Umora, where here we have, yes, somebody who's so bad that he deserves to be murdered. And what's the example used? Oh, he has horrible kibbutz avaim. He's not good to his parents. And also, he eats way too much meat, right? What's the root of that? Where is that coming from? Similarly, with a Naval Birshuta Torah, this is just somebody who's an example used. He's eating too much meat. This idea of meat, I think when you start looking for it, it's all over the Torah. We just have to start to take notice. Now, truly the last question that I want to address then is, wait a second. Okay, I hear you. Maybe you're bought in. You're thinking about this too. You've thought about it before. But if it's so important, then why isn't it spoken about more? Why isn't this a topic of rabbis drushas in shul? Why isn't this something that we're speaking it a more of a, of a conversation? And I think that answer number one to that is firstly, it is. If we start opening our ears, different organizations and different ways, people are for sure speaking about more about, um, how to be treating animals more, moral, more morally. People are giving it more thought, but I think that an answer number two to that is that it's not that people don't care about animals. It's just that there's a lot of really important issues in this world. And one reason that I, I don't speak about this that much, like usually I, I give Parsha shears or other things I don't know that are very important and on my mind. Um, but I thought because of this week's Parsha, it was an opportunity. But the truth is, I think one reason it's not spoken about is because, yeah, let's be honest, it might not be on the top of people's causes. There are so many important issues in this world, uh, mental health, eating disorders, domestic abuse, Lashon Hara. That, I mean, I don't know. I'm starting to list, but there's approximately 3 million, like, you know, you know, there's thousands of, of important things that as humans we're trying to be working on that our Torah values and, and perhaps this isn't at the top of the list because yes, it is about animals. And we're going to work on our bin Adam l'chavero first. We're going to work on treating each other, you know, better um, before we go and, and our relationship with God, perhaps before we're going to speak about animals. That being said, there's no reason we can't talk about it too. We have the emotional bandwidth for more. I would say another good example even, I don't know, is... Let's say environmentalism. I think it's something that is so clearly a Torah value. I mean, there's just so many examples that I'm not going to go through now, but I think we'd all agree that not being wasteful, that taking care of the world is something that God wants from us. It's not at the top of everyone's list. Hatati, certainly not at the top of my list. And, but, but, but it should be as somebody who, as part of our jobs here in Herzliya, hosts dozens of college students every single Shabbos and use plasticware. It's true. It's horrible. And of course, I should be thinking, why am I not? 
I don't know. I mean, we, we do. Yeah, we get caught up in other things. And my point in saying that is that I think that sometimes people get very defensive. And if they themselves are meat eaters or just not a vegetarian, just like everyone else in the world, um, they feel they need to explain why they eat it. And this is the reason. And again, kind of back to the very first point that I made, like, let's everyone calm down. We can be more thoughtful about how much meat we're consuming and the way that animals are treated um, and what we do on our day, on our yearly barbecues and our, how much meat we're going to buy at the wedding or bar mitzvah or where we go out to eat, where we're going to go, things like that. We can be more thoughtful without going to such an extreme. It can just be something that we're incorporating just like we might with the environment, get a water bottle instead of a plastic water bottle or perhaps use a, you know, a metal straw instead of a plastic. There can be little ways where where we decide, wait, maybe I'm only going to eat meat twice a week, or maybe I'm going to think about a little bit more, you know, in addition to Shabbos or whatever it is, just be a little bit more thoughtful, recognizing as the Torah wants to, what we're putting into our mouth, just realizing that, yes, it was a creature and now I'm living my life in a fuller way. Wow. I want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank Matan for this opportunity. I always welcome, you know, thoughts or comments I think, though, that the message in the end of the day is just to be thoughtful, to be intentional about how we live our lives, right? We can question what's been done in the past generation and try and past generations and try and improve it for future generations. And that's how society works. That's how we grow. We are constantly, hopefully, improving. And I hopefully the idea is just a more nuanced approach to eating animals, to the treatment of animals, to sensitivities, to what we eat. I think that's something that we can all agree upon. Bezrat Hashem, when we read the words, the Shabbos morning, in this week's parsha, Lo Tevashel Gedi Bechalev Imo, perhaps we will now give a little bit more thought behind it. Before we go, I would just like to remind everyone that Matan's Elo program will be taking place this year from August 29th through September 2nd, and the academic year will begin on Sunday, October 10th. You can find all the information you need to register on Matan's website. And we'll be looking forward to seeing you there in person. Please, God, everyone should have a healthy and wonderful summer. Thanks for listening. You can stream and download all Matan podcast episodes on Spotify, iTunes, and Matan's website. Feel free to share feedback with us as you listen. You can write us at podcast at matan.org.il. That's podcast at matan.org.il. Lastly, please do Matan Podcast and Women's Torah Learning a small favor by sharing this podcast with family and friends so that we can reach new audiences. Shabbat Shalom.